got to make sure and reach the pinnacle. That's awesome. I love it. If you're a guest visiting with us today, thank you for being here at Solace Church. You're at the very end of a series called Your Best Life Later. And this whole series has been about how to rewire our thinking and our attitude and our behaviors and center them around biblical principles and biblical behaviors that lead to long-term health. We all struggle with wanting the immediate and the now. The problem with the immediate and the now is that it tends to lead to dysfunction and brokenness. And establishing patterns that, 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 uh, that are biblical allow for long-term health. And so uh, I'm excited that you're here today. Of course, if you're watching online, thank you for being a part of our online community as well at solveschurch.com. I can't wait to see you here on campus soon. So church, today we're going to talk about the last of these principles. But we've covered a lot of ground, right? We've talked about what it means to have physical health. We've talked about what it means to have spiritual health and relational health. And today we're going to talk about what it means to have financial health. Now, when I say financial health, I really probably need to ex- expand that just a bit. Because when I mean, what I mean by financial health is I'm talking about the material world. What it looks like to order my life around handling uh, what's in my possession in the material world. So there's really like three different arenas in that world, right? There's the time that you have available. And then there's your assets, the fixed and liquid assets that, you're in, that, you, know, that you have in your possession. And then there's the, you know, the talents or the abilities that, that you have as well. How do we order these things in such a way that we create long-term health uh, in our life? And so if it's possible, I, I know it is, there's some people in the room today, it's possible that you would be an individual that would say, you know what, Matt, right now in my life, my world is chaotic. It is crazy. Uh, I feel like that I'm just sprinting from one thing to the next. Uh, maybe your schedule is so overwhelmed and overburdened that you're just exhausted. If you're a mom with kids, that's you. If you're a dad with a job and kids and all that kind of stuff, that's probably you as well. Maybe you're here and maybe you're the individual. Maybe it's not necessarily the time. Maybe, you're, maybe your time's okay, but maybe it's like the asset thing that's the problem for you. Your fixed and liquid assets is creating an incredible uh, a challenge for you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're struggling to make ends meet, or maybe you're struggling with dealing with you know, managing, managing all these, you know, these things that you have on your plate in terms of assets. Maybe you're here and you know, you're, you're wondering, you know, what am I supposed to be doing? And maybe, maybe it's the whole idea of you know, how in the world am, am, am I gifted and how am I wired? And so if, if you dr- struggle with any of that kind of stuff, today's for you. And here's what I've discovered. I've discovered in terms of the material world, these things that we have possession of. In the material world, there's basically two competing ideas, two competing philosophies when it comes to the material world. The first philosophy is that everything I have is mine. And that's a man-centric world. And by the way, don't Google man-centric because it doesn't exist. That's probably not a word. But it it just gives you a picture of what we're talking about. Man-centric, this this focus on me. And so in a man-centric world, in a human-centric world, the goal is to build my kingdom. So everything I have in my possession is about making my kingdom become my reality. And in this man-centric world, we're going to find out in just a moment what that looks like in specifics. But in a man-centric world, it really is the idea that, that all of these things were made for me. And for my benefits. And, and, and there's this competing philosophy that, 
that bumps up against that. And, and it's the philosophy that says everything I have is his. Totally different viewpoint. And that's a God-centric world. A God-centric philosophy. It is to say that all of these possessions that, that I have, that, 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 are, that, are, that, that I am, am in charge of here, all of these things are really God's and he's placed it in my hand for a reason and for a purpose. These are the two kind of philosophies that exist in the world. Now there are variations and I get all that, but oversimplified, this is kind of what happens. And here's what we all need to know and embrace this morning. The man-centric philosophy in terms of material possessions is what we are born with. Every single person that is born into this world is born into a very man-centric philosophy. My daughter, Georgia, is 18, 19, what? Yeah, 19 months old, I guess. And one of the words that she says very clearly, you already know, don't you? Mine. Everything is hers. And she wants it. And not only does she want it, but she wants it now. And even if it's not hers, in that moment, she wants it to become hers, so it still is mine. You don't have to teach a man-centric philosophy. It is wired within us from birth. What is so counter and so, so different is a God-centric philosophy. That is to say, all of it is his, and I'm simply in charge of it. Now, which of these two best represents the real world in which we exist. I'm not asking you which of the two do you struggle with or do you embrace. I'm saying, what is true about life? Is it true that we live in a man-centric world that all of the material possessions just simply belong to us and are for us? Or is it true that we live in a God-centric world and ultimately it's his kingdom that needs to be built? All right. So I want to take you on a quick journey through Scripture because the Bible has a whole lot to say about this issue. I would suggest to you that in terms of verses actually penned in Scripture, the Bible may have more to say about this conversation we're having today than maybe any other thing the Bible writes about or speaks to. So to understand what what philosophy is true, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. It's where we've landed. It's where we've spent this entire time on your best life later. Here's my observation. A man-centric philosophy leads to dysfunction and destruction. I'll show you why in just a moment. But a God-centric philosophy in terms of material possessions or viewing material possessions actually leads to life to its fullest. I want to show you that as well. So I want you to just go back in scripture with me to the very beginning, right? Genesis chapter two, God creates the heavens and the earth. He brings all this into existence. His last creation uh, in that, you know, that period of creative, uh, in, that, in that creation period was humanity. He brings man into existence and he calls man and woman very good. And then he says something interesting. Remember, he builds the garden That's specifically made for for man. And then he says, the Lord God, verse 15 of chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. Greek word here brought from Hebrew is the word ergazomai. It literally means to work. Remember in week one, we talked about physical health. And one of the things that our physical bodies are made for is production, is to work. That's why we are here. But the word I want to focus on for just a moment is this next word in the sentence. This next phrase, to work it and to take care of it. 
This Greek word, again brought from a Hebrew word, Greek word is philoso. The word philoso literally means a watchman or a guard. It's not as though that God put Adam and Eve in the garden just simply to be productive, but they were the watchmen. They were the guardians of what had been entrusted to them. So notice, God put man in the garden, the garden God created, and gave him a specific responsibility to work it, or God's oh my, and to take care of it, to be the guardian of it. Now, before we get too far into this, I just want you to know this morning, this is not going to be a political message. I'm not an advocate of the EPA or any kind of political organization this morning, okay? So this is not going there. What I want you to understand, though, is this is the beginning responsibility on man to guard what had been given to man. After Genesis 3, the man became very broken and fallen. The man-centric philosophy comes full circle, or, or front and center, excuse me. And now man struggles with reclaiming what was true in Genesis 2. So over and over again throughout Scripture, we see God speaking into this God-centric viewpoint. For instance, in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, we see this, this, uh, this, 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 this phrase. The earth is the Lord, and everything in it... The world and all who live in it. Do you see this? God owns it all. The earth is the Lord. Everything in the earth is the Lord. The world is the Lord's. You are his as well. I am his as well. He owns it all. And then in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 6, again, the psalmist does an incredible job speaking to this issue. When I consider your heavens, notice whose heavens they are, your heavens, The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place, God-centric. Then he asked the questions. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? All right. God, you own it all. You made man. What do you think of man? What's the purpose of man? Where does he fit in all this universe? He tells us in verse number five. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or angels and you crowned him with glory and honor. You called him very good and then you gave him this to do. Verse number six. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. You see the order. God created it all. He put me in charge. He owns it. I'm a manager. He owns it. I'm a steward. That's the point of scripture. I've heard some people uh, uh, mention, and I would call it a, a Christian myth in terms of finances, and I just want to dispel that from Scripture this morning, because I've heard some people say, you know, well, okay, God owns it all, and that's great, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in charge of stewarding. But when it comes to creating financial wealth or earning money, I think there's some people who might miss what is actually true about how this actually works. Let me explain. I've heard some people say, well, I earned that money. It's my money. I went to work or I own that company and I produced that wealth. And so it's my money and I can do whatever I want to with it, right? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 8 speaks, speaks into this, this, this misnomer or this myth inside of, of Christianity. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God wants to make sure his people understand that we should remember the Lord our God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So even in terms of earning a paycheck, the bottom line is God gives us the ability to do that. Do you see the picture? God's at the center. We are the ones entrusted with the resources. Could not be clear. Cover to cover, Scripture says this over and over and over again. But it's interesting. It's interesting to view what, what, what real life looks like. 
between the picture of man-centric and the picture of God-centric because they are polar opposites philosophies that produce polar opposite results. I want to show you for just the next couple of minutes. And by the way, if you find yourself in the midst of this on the man-centric side, because I found myself there numerous times, if you find yourself, will you just allow God through his spirit to speak to you? Will you not be resistant to that? Because one of the things that happens, let's just be fair. One of the things that happens is when you come face to face with a problem that exists in your own life is you got to swallow your pride, humble yourself before God and let God do the work of changing that philosophy or that thinking or that pattern so that you can ultimately experience the health he has for you. And so let's, let's, don't, you know, let's don't go to our corners. Let's don't, let's don't divide. Let's just listen. The man-centric approach is an interesting approach. In the man-centric approach, there are basically two extremes that happens. The first extreme is called hoarding. When I believe that everything I, I, I have in my possession, I own, then I give myself permission to accumulate simply to accumulate. All right, there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with having having money in the bank. Nothing. God gives us the ability to produce wealth. That's a good thing. The problem with this, and it's true, by the way, in our time, in our abilities, and in our assets, fixed and liquid, the problem becomes when we believe about those things that they're simply available for me to amass and accumulate. Scripture does speak a lot about hoarding. It's powerful how Scripture views this. I don't know the last time you read Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and 6, probably a long time ago, quite honestly. It's not a place people normally go when they're looking for a passage of Scripture to read. But Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and 6 speaks volumes into this idea of hoarding. And basically Solomon says a couple of things. He says, like, he says those who love money never have enough money. So even if they would accumulate, they would still have this uncontrolled appetite for more. <laughs> I never thought that I would use Mark Cuban as an illustration today, but I want to use what he said for a moment. Because, you know, listen, Mark was brilliant in this statement. You remember the lottery push and there was like $1.3 or $1.5 billion at stake in the lottery? And the truth is, as many of you probably bought a ticket if we were just being honest. If I'd ask you to raise your hand, you were one of the you know, hundreds of millions of tickets that were sold. Nothing inherently wrong with buying a ticket. I'm not recommending it, but that's not the point today. Mark Cuban said a brilliant thing about about this whole idea of lottery. He said, if you're not happy before the lottery or before you win, you won't be happy after you win because money cannot make you happy in and of itself. He's also right, though, that money does allow for some benefits and privileges and, and, and opportunities that lack of money does not provide. And so, again, nothing wrong with money. The point is, is it cannot be the end in and of itself. But man-centric says, I'm going to hoard it. It's true with time as well. Every single hour of your day, for the one who is man-centric, every single hour of that person's day is consumed with self. So your whole agenda, your whole schedule for your family, your whole schedule for yourself is just about how I can add some value to myself. Because remember, I'm building my kingdom. And I don't have time for anybody else's kingdom because it's my kingdom. It's true in abilities as well. Some people hoard their abilities. Some people truly, they, they use all of their gifts and all of their abilities for themselves to benefit themselves only. Hoarding. Jesus spoke into this. It's powerful. In Luke chapter 12, 
Jesus gives these powerful words. He says, watch out and be on your guard. Same Greek word used in Genesis 2 to guard the garden. Same Greek word here used, Jesus uses. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do you know the parable he tells next in Luke chapter 12? It's the parable of the rich man who came into an incredible harvest. He had, he had amassed an incredible harvest in a certain year. So much so that he didn't have enough barns to, to, to handle all of the increase. And so what did he choose to do? In a man-centric view, he chose to just simply build bigger barns so that he'd have more stuff so that he could retire and just take life easy. The problem with that, in Jesus' parable... It's so, so important to hear. The problem with that is that one day we will give an account before God for how we handle what's been entrusted to us. And the man thought that he was at a position to coast on the rest of the way in. He had amassed all that he needed. He was just going to take life easy. The problem is God required his life in that moment. Do you know that's what Solomon also says in Ecclesiastes 5 or 6? Do you know one of the great, the great tragedies? He says one of the great tragedies is wealth hoarded to the harm of the owner. One of the great harms in hoarding, hear me, is because when you have a lot, you worry a lot. And like some of you are like, I wish I had that problem. That'd be a great problem to have. I'd love to try to worry a little bit about all the stuff, right? But it's truly one of the difficulties in having a lot of stuff. You spend a lot of time worrying about a lot of stuff. More than that, you understand that when you have a lot of stuff, you can't take a lot of stuff with you to heaven, right? And you're going to leave it to somebody. (laughs) And you're not so sure about the somebodies you're going to leave it to. And you're worried about leaving it to that person or those people. What are they going to do with it? This is the harm that takes place. And so so Jesus in the parable of the rich man says, look, God required this man's heart, this man's life in that very moment. And God speaking to this man says, you're foolish. It's foolish to think it's all about just amassing stuff. And not being rich towards God. Hoarding is a, is a man-centric dilemma. And some of you would say, Matt, that didn't relate to me at all. I don't have a problem with hoarding at all. Don't have much. You know, in a man-centric world, there's also another problem. It's called wasting. Wasting. Some people hoard to their harm, and truly some people waste to their harm as well. <laughs> Do you know the person, or by chance, are you the person that you can go through five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 and have no idea where it went and can't speak to the benefit that it brought. Do you know that person? I mean, there's someone in your family, there's a friend you know, there's a coworker you know, like, like, like they can rack up $10,000 of credit card and you don't even have any idea where it's at. I mean, they can't even speak to it. How about this? Do you know someone that, you know, <laughs> that you look at the 24 hours that they just exist and you're like, I can't, I, I don't see one thing of value you brought by existing for these 24 hours. Like, like they're doing stuff, but there's no return on that. Maybe you're that person who, you know, you can spend a full day and you're like, what did I do? What was the contribution? It seems so self-absorbed, right? So this is the problem. Have you seen the person who's wasted the abilities and talents? Have you seen that person? You're like, you're incredibly gifted. But because these things aren't in order, you have all these gifts and you're not, you're not adding value at all with these gifts. You know that person as well, right? It's the one who wastes. The story in Luke chapter 15 is the perfect story. If you haven't read it lately, read it. It's the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, one of the powerful phrases in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son, this lost wayward son, is that he spent everything he had. 
And some of us live that way. In a man-centric world, we give ourselves permission to spend it all because it's for me anyway. And the truth is, is there's some families right now, there's some marriages, there's some, there's some family units right now, maybe there's some individuals in the room, and you've gotten yourself in a very bad predicament, you've gotten yourself in a very bad situation because you've been living the man-centric world and you've been building your kingdom, but you realize that it's empty and ultimately destructive to seek to build my own kingdom. Because that's not what we're created to do. So the word, really, that speaks to a man-centric world is, is the word abusing. Right? I take everything that's in my possession and I can just abuse it because it's for me anyway. But, but there's a different way to live. And this is a heart change moment. Someone in the room today, truly, this is going to be a heart change moment. Maybe today for the first time, God through the Holy Spirit is going to start saying, hey, how about let's, thinking about, how about let's start thinking about all these things differently? Someone in the room has, is going to need to go through this heart change process where you begin to realize it's about God and not me. And so the God-centric view is a wholly different view. In a God-centric view, it's about sharing. It's about sharing. Now, I don't mean this morning just simply like the, the, the child lesson that says, look, you need to share your toys. That's the lesson I'm going to have to teach Georgia. I get it. At 19 months, I don't need a teacher how to say mine. I need to teach her how to offer a toy to someone else, right? That's like the basis level, the foundational level of sharing. I'm not speaking about that specifically. I'm suggesting that in a God-centric world, I view everything that I have as an opportunity to add value to other people. Everything in my possession, time, assets, and abilities, I view it all through the lens of how can I begin to add value to other people. Everything that I have. Right, so it's sharing. And really the key word here in a God-centric world is about investment. And again, I don't mean specifically here just simply investing in the stock market because that's, you know, that's part of investing, but certainly not the entirety of investing. What do I mean by investing? What is the biblical picture when it comes to investing? Right. Do you remember when Jesus was asked the question, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those religious leaders, they were trying to trick him. They were trying to trap him all the time. One of the, on one occasion, a religious leader comes to Jesus and said, hey, uh, look, should, should Jews be required to pay the imperial tax to Caesar? The, the, the question's a trick question. They were trying to trap Jesus in an impossible situation. And do you remember what Jesus says? He said, you got a coin? Give me a coin. Whose face, whose, whose picture's on the coin? It's Caesar's. And then he says that phrase that you've heard many, many times before. Give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. What does Jesus recognize? Here's what Jesus recognized. Even in a God-centric world, Everything can't be given, for instance, to the temple in the first century. It's not as though Jesus said, well, every one of your possessions must be brought to the temple so that you can have a God-centric world. No, Jesus understood that there was an investment to be made across the board that is balanced, proportionate, and appropriate. Do you see the difference? In a man-centric world, it's just about consumption or blowing it all. Because who cares? Because it's my kingdom. In a God-centric world, I recognize that I have I have areas of influence and areas of impact that I need to make sure that I'm appropriately investing in so that I can be a great manager of what God's entrusted to me. So, for instance, Jesus said, pay your taxes, right? 
And I just would say to you, Saul's church this morning, we should embrace this. Paying taxes to our government is not a bad thing. Jesus honored it. He blessed it. He commanded, pay your taxes. Don't cheat on your taxes. Be a good citizen. I've said that numerous times before. Pay your taxes. It's a right investment to make. But then there's these other areas, right? And, and this is where it gets complicated. And this is where I'm going to lose a few of you, and I know that, so I'm just going to go there anyway, right? Here, uh, here's where it gets complicated. There's an investment to, me, to be made in his kingdom through his church. In a man-centric world, there is no margin and no ability to invest in the kingdom because you've spent tax money because you have to and everything else is consumed on you and your family because you want to. But in a God-centric world, the investment I make is yes to taxes and yes to contribution in and through the local church. Not because the local church is some kind of just money-hungry place, but rather that this is the way that I can add the greatest value through all the resources God has entrusted to me. So it's true, the contribution, the investment, it's true with my finances. But, but some of you would think, well, it's just about money. It's not. Do you know that part of your time commitment could be used to invest to the local church as well? That's why we call people to service. Certainly it's biblical to do that. I can make that case for you today. But I'm asking you to consider this for a moment. You have to give your time to certain things. And it's good to spend time at work. Go to work. Honor your commitments to be a great employee. Do your job at the work. That's a great time investment. But how about considering an investment in God's kingdom as well? In a God-centric world, it's do your job, but also invest in what God's doing in the kingdom. Now, you showed up today for church. That's, you know, one hour credit for you. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's great. But do you know there's a greater contribution than just Sunday morning? Do you know that? How can you begin to order your life around the idea that I'm going to create margin in my world to impact the world, to be a part of the kingdom that's coming through Christ, right? It's true with your ability as well. In a God-centric world, I look at my ability and I don't just say, how can I leverage my ability to make money and to make my life better? That's a great thing to do. Use your gifts, ability, and resources and earn a living, and that's a great thing to do. But how about leveraging those abilities for the kingdom as well? How is it that God has uniquely positioned you with your gifts and your abilities to make a kingdom contribution? I'm just going to shamelessly plug for a moment. Connect night tonight. If you don't know what that looks like, Connect Night is exactly where you need to be. It gives you a chance to see how you've been gifted so you can make a contribution, right? So, ordering your life around this investment. At Solace Church, one of the things I love to see is I love to see people opening up their homes and allowing people to enter their homes for small groups. Some of you do that. If you open your home for Solace Groups or you open some of your uh, uh, fixed assets to be used for the kingdom, what a great, great investment. Some of you are home team, uh, home team, well, that's old, Solace Group facilitators, Sorry about that. Don't try this at home. Solace group facilitators. Some of you are opening your homes for other ministries, and that is great. Some of you are using your resources, your vehicles, your trailers to make a difference. Thank you. That's a God-centric world. You know, the word that really speaks to this is the word leverage. It's leveraging. It's not abusing, but it's leveraging every single thing God has entrusted to me to make a difference in the world. So, I'm ordering my life around investing across the board, work, family, ministry, other expenses are okay. I'm ordering my life around the proportion that's necessary to carry this out. If you don't know the proportions that you need to have, by the way, there's some great resources. Dave Ramsey has some great resources on how you can proportion your finances or your time or your energies and efforts. He's got all that information. You can go check out some of his stuff as well. Many other places to go, but find the balance that God's calling you to. Now, lastly, 
One more parable that's so important. I hope all of us listen to this this morning. This is so cool. Jesus tells a parable and speaks to the heart of God and how he longs to see us live out this God-centric world. He tells this parable. He says that a certain owner entrusted a certain number of talents to certain people. You know the story? Parable of talents. He gives five to one, two to one, and then one talent to one person. Quick note, just in case you didn't know this, the disbursement of resources in our world today is not even or fair. Get over it. It's not. No one, God is not required to give you exactly what he gives someone else. God is the owner. He can disperse it as he sees fits. Five, two, and one. And the owner goes away for a time and comes back. And he comes back and he asks the one with five, how'd you do? And the one with five said, well, here's the deal. I invested what you gave me. And there's a five-fold, or there's a, I, I doubled that. I have five more for a total of 10. And, and, and this is the way I invested. Do you remember what, remember what the owner said? Well done. Remember? Good, faithful servant. You get it. That's exactly right. The one with two, same story. He, he had two. He made two more. He looks at the owner. The owner says, well done, good and faithful servant. You know the only one that didn't, didn't get the well done, good and faithful servant? You know that one? He's the one who didn't invest. He didn't invest for whatever reason. He was scared. He was worried. He was concerned. He didn't invest. He's the only one that didn't receive the well done, good and faithful servant. So here's what I would say. I want to be a part of the five. I want to be a part of the two. I want to be the one that sees everything that God's entrusted to me. And I want to be able to leverage it so that I can make the greatest good in the world. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. As you bow your heads and close your eyes. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to consider this thought. Am I abusing or am I leveraging? Has this been about me and my kingdom or him and his kingdom? Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.